0: Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level?
1: Let's get started.
0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. And I'm super excited to discuss one of the topics that's been coming up a lot for us with Dina Eisenberg, who is the CEO of Outsource Easier. So we have a lot of stuff. I mean, obviously, when we're coming on the marketing side of things, we run up with people that are having different styles of, you know, sometimes their business is a little bit in disarray. Sometimes their business ends up growing and they don't know what to do. But basically, at some point, especially for people that are solo practices, this is an option that might be really, really, really useful. And Dina is one of the best experts on it. So thank you for coming on the show, Dina.
1: Oh, yeah, and I'm so excited to be here. I love talking about delegation and outsourcing and even our mission know, to change the way that lawyers practice so it becomes easier. So happy to be here.
0: All right, awesome. We usually get started with a little bit of the background story. And uh, I happened to hear yours uh, when we were together in the Law Firm Growth Summit last year. You've got an awesome story. Would you mind sharing it with the guests?
1: I'm delighted to do that because I think my experience so unique, to actually not unique to me, are so common, and I don't think people recognize how easy it is to get into the trouble I did. So, you know, I was running a six-figure business. My husband was running a million-dollar business. Really, the kind of thing that you dream about when you're thinking about the entrepreneurial dream. So, we traveled extensively. When my daughter did her study abroad in Madrid, you know, I had to go to check it out to make sure it was safe. She was eating well. I had an opportunity to build my dream house from scratch. I mean, total gut renovation, all the things that you want to do that you work so hard for when you have your own business. And so I thought we were just going to be fine forever. I learned how to delegate when I was the vice president at Bank of America. I was the corporate ombudsman, and I served about 60,000 people across of the United States and used to doing everything myself because I'd run a small business. But my assistant basically gave me the come to Jesus talk. And she said, you are ruining our reputation, mine and yours, because you try to do my work, stay in your own lane. You do all the high level thinking and relating to people, I'll do all the administrative work. And so she taught me how she could be my partner and I just never forgot that. So. When I went back to private practice, I always had a team, but I could not convince my husband. He was so resistant, and it reminded me of so many lawyers that I knew. He would be like, "Well, why would I go ahead and train somebody to essentially take my job or spend money on something that I could actually do myself and save the money? And basically, I don't want to have any mistakes because my clients come to me for a specific reason. and That's because I'm good. I can't have any mistakes. So I can't hire anybody. And you know, those were all kind of excuses, but you know, when you're married, somebody who has their own business, you have to let them do their own thing. So he went on running his business his way. I went on running my business my way. One night of the night, of course, he sneezed. Everybody sneezes. Well, this was a little bit different. He sneezed and ruptured two discs in his back. We rushed to the hospital. And basically the surgeon came out and told me if we don't operate minutes, he's gonna be paralyzed for life. So at that point, I was not thinking about the businesses at all. I was thinking, how can we have you know help this person survive the surgery and come out the other side? Thankfully he did. And uh, he woke up the next morning, the surgery was success, but he began a two-year recovery period where literally he was like a toddler he had to learn how to walk again use the bathroom again go up and down stairs and that severely impacted our life because i needed to be his caretaker so my business was able to continue because you know i had team in place and i could shift my focus to taking care of him his business was gone in a week why no team his corporate clients would call up and say, well, where is the blah, blah, or the X, Y, and Z? And I just have to say, I don't know. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not part of this business. I can't help you. And while they were all sympathetic, you know, they felt bad because they really liked him and he did do a great job. Every corporate client dropped him within a week. And they all said the same thing. You're unreliable because you don't have team. We can't trust you because there's no one to pick up the slack if you're not there. And I know for small firm owners and for solos, that is so true. So when you don't have a team to help you, what happens to your income? Does it just stop? What happens to your family? Do you put them in a dangerous, precarious position because you decided you didn't want to have somebody help you in a law practice? And so that really spurred me to open my shop and talk about my story and get lawyers past some of the obstacles that we face in terms of outsourcing and delegating.
0: Yeah, I mean, such a powerful story. And it's kind of interesting. Like, hopefully that people, I mean, I'm definitely looking at a box of tissues on my desk right now and wondering, you know, maybe I'm going to have the sneeze. <laughs> and hopefully not. But again, you know, the, obviously it's a, it was a super tough situation that happened to your husband. But, you know, there's also, not to say like people have to get this set up in case they, they have calamity, but on the flip side, You know, sometimes you ask people, when's the last time you had a vacation? Those are the other, I guess, the the Mm. positive side of things. But it's kind of interesting because it looks like, you know, a lot of people end up going into solo practice because they're trying to avoid the whole golden handcuffs situation with a job. But, Mm -hmm. you know, it turns out they're, you know, they're trading one set of handcuffs for another if they're personally responsible for the deliverables.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, it's hard to do a great job when you're personally responsible for everything. And the truth of the matter is your family did not decide to go into business. They just decided to love you, and you decided that you wanted to have a law practice which is actually a business. So when you're not taking care of those things that help the business run smoother and make it more productive and profitable, in some ways you're kind of cheating your family. You know, my story ends in divorce because we just couldn't agree on what was more important. And I would hate for other people to get in that position where they're stressed about money, they're stressed about the time away and it, you know, ruined one of the primary, most important relationships they have.
0: Right. And, um, you know, obviously things can get to the point where it's that bad, but I'm sure there's a lot of people who are walking around right now that have maybe a ticking time bomb like that in their, in their life. So what do you usually see as the signs of, of when somebody should start considering this stuff?
1: You know, it's so funny because lawyers are kind of like looking for a bad sign, looking in the sky, it's like, is there going to be this sign? Sorry to say, there's no bad sign. If you are asking a question, like, is it time for me to outsource? It is time. And here's how I come to that conclusion, which is, you know, we all have our lizard brain, the part that says, don't do that, you're gonna get in trouble, or that's gonna hurt you. When you're asking yourself, is it time to outsource? That part of your brain is recognized that you are already overwhelmed. And it's saying like, we kind of need some help. Could you think about that for a minute and get us some help? So if that question comes up, some part of you is all ready to outsource. One of the other things to consider is, are you missing things? So are you dropping dates on the calendar? If you haven't billed in like three months, uh, those are important things. And if those are getting overlooked in your practice, you're putting your practice in jeopardy. So if you're not doing things in the practice, like, billing or you're spending too much time on admin work so that you you don't have enough time to bill, then it's really time to start thinking about what can I bring on to take over some things like intake or calendaring or, you know, billing clients because all of those things are going to contribute to increasing your revenue and reducing your stress. So that's another sign. If you're avoiding things, it might be time to turn that over to somebody else. And the last one I would note is I am missing opportunities. So if you can't go out and be on a bar association committee uh, and leave the committee because you can't be away from the office, you're missing a golden opportunity to demonstrate your expertise and network with other lawyers in your community. So if you are finding that you're saying no to things that you know you should be saying yes to or that you just want to say yes to, it's really time to think about okay, what can I take off my plate and put on somebody else's plate, so that now I have free time to engage in these practice building activities.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting because it seems like on some level, people always kind of look at. It seems like the stuff that you can see above the surface. So it's like, oh yeah, well you know, why would I pay somebody fifteen dollars an hour to answer my phones? That's kind of like the tip of the iceberg, and the area that's below is that that opportunity cost you mentioned. Because it's like, look, if you're if you're leading that that bar. Organization meeting, and that's the next source of your your you know fifteen or twenty thousand dollar client that's coming through the door from a referral. That Mm. and you know you're you're missing out so much. But um to kind of dig into that a little bit more. So we mentioned a couple Mm -hmm. different things: billing, follow up, intake, that kind of stuff. How does somebody decide what they want to outsource, and is that answer different for different people?
1: Great question. So the thing that you want to do when you're deciding um, to outsource or delegate, and the two things are actually different, so I'll just take a second to make the distinction. Outsourcing is the umbrella idea. It's the idea that you're going to ask somebody either inside or outside of your practice to help you achieve a goal. and It's that simple. It's just asking someone to help you achieve a goal. Delegation is the next step where you are deciding what to delegate and then preparing that person that you selected to do the best job possible, just to get the, those two things out. Now, what are you going to delegate? The things that you don't like to do is a great place to start, right? So usually folks want to just jump right in and delegate everything. And I think that's kind of a bad idea because initially you're going to have to learn the process of delegating effectively. You're going to have to learn how to select the right person. So your first couple of things that you're delegating need to be low risk. You know, you don't want to have your practice blow up because you picked the wrong thing or the wrong person. So Really low risk tasks. That's why I think, you know, having a firm Lex reception, which is an answering service, answer your phone is a great way to begin to delegate, right? Because they already have a system for doing it. You're just plugging into their system and understanding it. And they're getting the benefit back of that time of not being on the phone with maybe tire kickers that you can put back into your practice. So I always recommend low risk, but valuable tasks. So not something that's fluffy that you don't care about, something that you actually need to get done. And here's a little tool that folks can use to figure that out. So if you just, you know, take out a piece of paper and quickly fold it into fours like when you were in fourth grade and you label each corner differently. So it's weekly, monthly, daily, and quarterly. And then write down everything you do on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, and on a quarterly basis. What you're probably going to find out is that your daily and weekly boxes are slammed, just jammed full of stuff. There's very little on your monthly, and there's probably nothing on your quarterly. Right. Look at some of the daily and weekly things and think about, well, is this something that I have to do that requires my expertise or my personal attention? If not, it goes onto the list of something to delegate.
0: Okay, awesome. So that's an, that's an awesome place to start. And like it's kind of interesting because I think an exercise like that, and anyone who's who's in that position of listening should absolutely go ahead and do that. It sounds like you know, pretty impactful for for figuring that stuff out. So my next question is, you know, I'm sure a lot of people are bought into this concept and they understand that the value that could have. But one of the things, and this is true of any business. And any any service that one can consider is, you know, that really sounds awesome, Dina, but I just can't afford that. <laughs> so, what do you say to somebody who <laughs> doesn't have the money or doesn't have the time? And I think usually what the place people are trying to think of is maybe hiring somebody full time. But, like, are there steps that people can take before that to, to maybe make it a little easier of a transition?
1: Absolutely. If I had a quarter for everybody, time somebody said to me, I can't afford to outsource. You know I'd have my own private island, right?
0: <laughs> <So> <laughs> yeah.
1: I would be just be you know, relaxing in the sun because everybody thinks that's true. But here's the thing. First, you don't necessarily have to hire somebody full-time, and I actually recommend that you start at a part-time like five hours a week bringing somebody in because it's a process you have to learn. Secondly, let's just talk about the cost of it. We imagine that it's so expensive without <laughs> actually doing the research to find out, and considering how much return you're going to get from that, right? right. So I have a client who uh, it took me, I want to say, almost a year to convince her to start bringing on a paralegal to delegate some of the work to because for her, her practice area was very dear to her. She really didn't want anybody else to be involved in doing the work and felt like you know she wanted to do it all herself. But eventually, I wore her down. <laughs> right. And she got a paralegal. Now she brought this person in for just five hours a week. Um, she was the paralegal cost her thirty-five dollars an hour, but she was able to bill this person out at one fifty an hour. That's because you're entitled, according to the ABA rules, to bill out a paralegal who does sub- substantive legal work for you at a rate that's near your own. Right? So she's paying thirty-five. she's billing this person out at one fifty, and she gets her own time back to work on other legal matters to actually practice law. So it actually ends up being a profit-generating activity when you hire the right paralegal, you train them well, and then you let them do their work. So she got five hours back of her time that now she could bill out again, and she got the paralegal doing what she needs to do to grow the practice. So if you're saying, like, I can't afford it, really start looking at the numbers. And here's another perspective to look at that from. So I want to ask you, can you afford a bar complaint because you failed to meet a court date or forgot to get back to a client? You know, the number one reason that clients uh, file bar complaints is non-responsiveness. And, you know, some lawyers are just too busy to make, you know, maybe keep that client updated, but you can use it paralegal to keep that person updated so which is less costly the bar complaint where now you have this record of your malfeasance or uh, maybe I don't want to say definite malfeasance but possible malfeasance you now have to hire a lawyer you have to go before the you know defend yourself before the bar or is it less expensive to actually just hire somebody who can help you and put some hours back in your time so you can manage your calendar and it doesn't always have to be that you're hiring somebody. It actually can be tools, right? So when I say it help you achieve a goal, there are apps that can help you keep your clients informed, like case status. Anybody who knows that app knows that it's a way for your clients to get their questions answered, which is something the clients love to call and talk to you about. Well, you can delegate that task to the app and have that person check the app to find out what the status of their case or what documents they need to provide for you, or the next step in their matter, right? So that you don't have to do it, but it does get done. So if you're thinking you can't afford it, I'm really encouraging people to think about, well, if you don't, what will the cost be to you? And likely the cost is going to be greater than the amount of money that you're going to spend to get the help.
0: Yeah, I mean, a knowledge bomb just went off in my head, you know, when you brought that up, because you know, when you're thinking about the the paralegal and the ability to build that at a rate that's close to your own, you know, maybe this isn't a question of whether you know you can afford this paralegal. Maybe it's the question of you know, can my clients afford this paralegal? They're going to be billing the hours anyway, so that's a decision that they've already made. So, you know, that, that seems like a like a win all around because it's you know, at the end of the day, if, if you know, you're having a better service. I don't think clients want to work with somebody who's kind of like stretched over a barrel from a time perspective any more than Hmm. anyone wants to be stretched over a barrel. (laughs) So um, yeah, that's That's exactly right. Yeah, so uh, another quick question. So as far as a part-time stuff goes, I mean, this kind of goes to something that I've kind of seen some trends in in the area or in the industry rather, but uh, this whole question about having somebody, does this necessarily need to be somebody in your office or is this somebody that you could potentially have from a remote worker or you know, somebody within state or maybe within even the
1: same country. You can have a remote worker. You can have a remote worker. In fact, I encourage people to look at remote or virtual paralegals as a way to begin to get into the process, right? Because some folks, if it's an in-person paralegal, they worry, oh, I don't have the office space or now I have to buy a computer for this person and oh, it's additional overhead that I really don't want. Well, you can use a virtual paralegal service. Um, they're again already set up to help you do whatever it is that you need to do. Um, you usually if you're using a virtual paralegal service, it's a number of paralegals under one umbrella. And so you might be able to use you know, one paralegal to do your intake, another one to do your billing, another one to do legal research for you. So you're getting access to a lot many more professionals. Um, if you're using a virtual team. And, you know, you don't have that overhead of having to bring somebody in. The thing to recognize if you're using a virtual team is onboarding is the same as if the person was in your office. Sometimes lawyers are like, well, they're virtual. I really don't need to spend any time training them. And that would be a mistake because just like an in-person paralegal, your remote paralegal knows how to do their job for sure, but they don't know how to do it for you. And so it's on you to spend some time onboarding them, which means providing an orientation day, helping them understand their job and your expectations, and then spending about three months training them into doing the role. Um, Because it takes at least a year for someone to be very competent at their role, but at three months to six months, that's when you're beginning to see the return on your investment, which is, you know, about two plus thousand dollars per hire. So you really want to spend the time to onboard that person, whether they're remote or um, in person. But yeah, remote is a great way to start.
0: Yeah, one question that kind of came up while we were talking about that is, is sort of: are there cons to hiring remote as far as where you want to go? Because I mean, I'm I'm just kind of imagining the people who might be thinking, well, all right, it's great if we have somebody who's part of a team. But what happens when I need to, you know, scale up and potentially hire that person full-time? Is that something you can do with these services, or would they have to eventually transition as somebody, uh, I guess, full-time and in person?
1: The remote or virtual paralegal services that I have worked with um, offer packages in terms of hours, so that if you need more hours, you can scale up with them. And what I like about having to be part of an agency is they already know your practice right? So you're using them for five hours. Things go great. Now you're using them for 20 hours. And it's, you know, your your training time is cut down because they know your systems. They know what you like and how to manage your clients well for you. Not to say that having an individual or a independent online or virtual power legal is bad. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that I like when I like to advise my clients to work with an agency that has many folks. So they get as many resources without having to spend more effort or time.
0: So, yeah, these have all been super good tips, Dina. Uh, So a quick question, uh, and maybe I'm putting you on the spot right here, but I don't think I am because you're a really great storyteller. (laughs) Um, Are there any, like, just great success stories that come to mind as far as somebody, you know, and, and let's think about somebody who's potentially listening to this podcast Smaller solo business owner, potentially, who, who might be thinking that oh, this is really resonating with me. You know, I've listened 25 minutes yeah. into this podcast so far. You know, what do you have any stories that would kind of describe an outcome, a great outcome that's happened for somebody like that?
1: Sure, sure. I've been lucky enough to have clients who are open to making the change they needed to make in their practice and really embraced outsourcing and onboarding. So, I'm thinking of one particular client who has a really unique kind of niche practice. And because it's niche, she really felt like he had to do everything. He was in his email for hours a day, sort of moving documents around and preparing for his clients. And he, he neglected the other parts of his business. So he wasn't billing at all. And worse than that, he would sign clients and then they'd never pay. Like So they'd sign the contract, but they didn't pay. So we were able to walk through all of his work. And really figure out what's going to be the most useful things for you to delegate in terms of increasing your revenues in the bottom line. So we figured out okay, you have to stop looking at the email all the time, it's not useful for you. And and really, it was what I would call junk food you know, the tasks that we do when we want to feel busy, but we're not actually busy. So it was his junk food, and he just kind of got into a place where it made him feel more comfortable to be doing that work. So we were able to get him to stop doing that, find a paralegal who was in his niche. So we had a lot of comfort with her because he didn't really have to explain what he was doing. She immediately got his practice and went right ahead, not only helping him, but actually improving the practice by putting in better systems. And then we were able to encourage him to think about you know the back end of his practice, like when are you getting paid and what happens when you don't get paid? Because he'd had... Clients who literally were clients on his, of his on paper for months, but they never taken the next step to actually send the payment. And he was too busy to actually ask them to pay. So, okay, well, let's just get you a billing clerk. He, you know, he was very clear that it wasn't his favorite thing. And part of what I do with my clients is help them recognize things that they don't like to do that maybe they don't want to admit. But then once you get that clarity and accept that about yourself, it's easier to have somebody else do the work. So he didn't like calling clients to follow up and say, hey, you know, you you signed the contract, and you send the payment? That felt demeaning to him. So he just didn't do it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And, you know, when the longer that you have that money waiting out there, the less likely you're going to get it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we got him a a billing Mm -hmm. clerk and literally within the first week, she got him 10K. I, the person he had not been calling, she called up and said, oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm brand new. I noticed that you signed your contract, but we don't necessarily see the payment. Can you take care of that this week? Boom. Sure enough. Done. So 10K. And I was like, okay, now you see the value of having somebody else do that work for you. Right. You got that money without you having to follow up at all with that client. And that wasn't the only client she was reaching out to. So he expects to have his revenues increase significantly over the next few months because he was able to recognize the things that he didn't like to do himself, accept that about himself, and then go out and find teammates who could make it happen for him.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. There's, it's kind of an interesting dilemma as well, because I think there's almost a built-in assumption for the person who wants to do everything is that the, the assumption is that you're the best person at everything but I think if people really have the clarity to kind of look at themselves and say hey look I mean this is the other thing too it's like you know as far as the systems you mentioned which she was able to improve you, know, you might not have been a systems guy in addition to a billing guy so the fact is people have natural talents I guess it's just kind of connecting the dots between what you like and what you don't like and how that kind of maps into scaling that can be uh, that can be super helpful
1: that's ab- absolutely true and the point that you make about expertise is really kind of critical because if you have to spend the time to learn something before you do it that's wasted time you can never build that right i'd much rather hire somebody who already knows how to do it that's less time that i'm investing in this project and i'm going to get a better outcome at the end
0: yeah, exactly. It's like people, you know, you, you invested in, in your JD to do the law, you know, you know, there's no point in going ahead and becoming an <laughs> expert at harassing people for being a bill collector at the same time, right? <laughs> but, yeah, um, it
1: was a very expensive investment too, so you have to protect that.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, if, if, if this is resonating with people on any level, what's like the best way, I guess, any, any next steps or, or best ways to, to get in touch with you or, or look into this stuff a bit further, Dina?
1: Sure. I would, you know, love to touch base with people and help them figure this out. They're more than welcome to join my Facebook group, which is Train Your Perfect Paralegal. And if they head over to my website, which is OutsourceEasier.com, they can grab a video of the three signs that it's time to outsource.
0: Okay, awesome. Yeah. So I mean, I guess, I guess further uh cementing what we were talking about earlier. If you know, if it, it well, I guess first thing I guess if there's any doubt, there's no doubt. But if if this if this is resonating with you, if you made it this far, absolutely go ahead and check that out. Dina, thank you so much for the time. It's been a really fascinating conversation and I hope anyone out there that's listening, um, you know, if this is if this is speaking to you, don't go another month <laughs> living uh, stretched over Whoa. that period.
1: There's
0: a better world out there. <laughs>
1: that's right. Be intentional about building the practice that you really want and that works for you, because that means that you're gonna be able to do what you promised to do when you became a member of the bar, which is to serve your clients uh, well. All
0: right, well, I don't think I can finish off better than that. So thanks for uh, thanks again, Dina, and uh, for the rest of y'all, I'll speak to you next week on the Law Firm Growth Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode.